as an individual, you as a person, you have a calling, you have giftings, you have anointing, and it may not be um, what the Christian world has always called anointed or gifted. It may be, um, I believe teachers are anointed. Goodness gracious are you anointed, because I don't know how you deal with it otherwise, okay? I believe that mothers are anointed, because again, I have no idea how you deal with screaming children all day. It's, a, it's incredible that the human race is alive. It's really incredible that we survive it. If they weren't cute, it would be really difficult for the human species to keep going, you know? There's anointing, there's calling, there's, there's this sense of, of God that, that he's placed in every single one of us. We're all made in the image of God. So the question at the beginning of this series was, what is in your hands? What is in your hands? Because God wants to use that to change nations. For Rosa, it's literally to be a missionary in Japan. And whatever it may be for you, that's your responsibility to identify and to begin to use it, begin to put it to work. So last week, uh, the, series, the, the message last week was titled, Get Moving. Everybody say, Get Moving. And so that whole concept was, so often, God has given us everything we need to overcome whatever the enemy is throwing at us, whatever life is throwing at us. And a lot of times, we throw our hands up in the air, and we give this, this really freaked out attitude that says, God, where are you? Where are you? And we saw in, in Exodus where God speaks to Moses. He says, why are you crying out to me? Lift up your staff. Why are you crying out to me? Lift up your staff. And so the whole premise of last week was that we need to recognize that there are things God has called us to do using the things that he's placed in our hands. And if we don't do it, it doesn't get done. And we need to understand our place in the kingdom. Every single one of us has a place in the kingdom. You have a place in this thing. God is not about changing nations by himself. He loves people. And so he uses people. He loves to use people. Amen? Well, this morning, the question is what now? Everybody say what now? One now. See, what do you do after you see all that? I mean, like, imagine you put yourself in the shoes of the Israelite people, and they're fleeing from the they're fleeing from the Egyptians. They see the Red Sea split in two. I mean, if that doesn't change your life, what will? Right? If that doesn't, what what else can you? I mean, what else can you ask for? And you see, they see the Red Sea split in two. They walk across on dry ground. And God was actually speaking to me about that this morning. Just this concept of of newness and wholeness and freshness and, and new creation. God was so intentional in everything he did that it says that the, the, the ground that they walked upon was dry. It was dry ground, which was beautiful to me because what God was speaking is he's not even gonna let the, the soil of Egypt stay on your shoes. He's not even gonna allow the clay of Egypt stay on your shoes. And same with us in our lives, the same things that we hold on to and we cling on to, we, the things, the habits, God is saying, no, I want you to leave it all behind. Not even mud will be on your shoes when you get to the other side. And so they see this whole thing unravel in front of them and, and, and it says that by the time they get to the other side of the sea, they watch the waters crash in on top of their enemies just crash on their enemies and they see the 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 Egyptians dead on the seashore and that's incredible to me it's incredible to see what God can do what God will do what God does do for us in our own lives and then we're left with this question so what now I mean, can you imagine that awkward tension? It's like you see all these enemies just destroyed and then you're just kind of looking at all one million of you and you're just like, okay, guys, um, what now? Like, what are we supposed to do now? Where are we supposed to go from here? And I think a lot of times in our own lives, we go through that. We experience these incredible moments with God where God does something extravagant and then we're left with that question, okay, what now? And I thought it was ironic. I have to talk to Pastor Ron today and let him know he doesn't have to throw his life like out as like a sermon illustration 
because it was funny. Last week was an incredible Sunday. It was incredible. I felt the Lord just, just pouring through, and it's this, yes, we're going to win. Our, you know, our enemy's destroyed. He's defeated. We, I mean, the, the Red Sea's just crashing in over the enemy, and then Pastor Ron gets injured. It's like, oh, come on, man, seriously? And I was like, I mean, I started this week out with, like, I have all this stuff coming up, and then Ron got injured. I was like, what, God, what are you doing? What is going on? And then he pointed me to the text. See what's next. What's next? What happens next in the story? And what's incredible is in the story, and we're not even going to read the text, uh, the, the scripture for time's sake, but the people see this happen, and then they offer up this natural overflow of worship. Just this natural overflow of worship. What else can you do when your enemies are dead on the seashore but tell God how awesome he is? right? And so they're just singing this song, and Moses leads them in this song, and then Miriam the prophetess, she leads them into a song, and, and the people are just, just, just bumping with praise. It's incredible to see. And again, in our own lives, that's the natural response. When God pulls through, the natural response is, oh my gosh, man, you're so good, God. You're so good. And this morning we sing all those songs, you're so good. You make me come alive. You've brought me new life. You bring me freshness. You bring me newness. And then the song's over, and then you're left with the question, so what now? What now? Everybody say, what now? Exodus 15.22. Exodus 15.22. Here's the what now. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? What now? And so they see this incredible thing happen before them, and then they take, I mean, it's, it's the same chapter even. It's even, it's still in the, we're still in the same section of Scripture, the same exact chapter. And they take some steps forward, and they're faced with thirst. They experience need all over again. So where they just watched their enemy get destroyed, now they're faced with, we don't have water to drink. We don't have water to drink. So what's next? Oftentimes, what we need to understand is after a victory comes another challenge. After we get through one thing, that does not mean it's clear sailing from there, comes another challenge. And if we're not ready to face the challenge, if our hearts aren't ready to face the challenge, we will respond just like the Israelites responded. They were just singing a worship song. I mean, that worship song's long. It's so long, I'm not even going to read it to you. It was long. And they're going for it. They're just going for it, you know? And they're just raw. It's just, just like incredible. I mean, Moses is like on the electric guitar. He's just going crazy. Aaron's on the drums. He has a solo. It's incredible. Read the Bible. It's awesome. That's all in there. <laughs> and the same chapter, we see them grumbling. But of course they're grumbling. Why wouldn't they grumble? They are thirsty. They haven't had water for three days. How would you act if you didn't have water for three days? So it's really easy to say, man, what's wrong with these people? Didn't they just see what God did for them? And now they're already back at it? And it doesn't just end there. Exodus 15 is where um, they're complaining about water. If you read the story, continue to read the story, God shows Moses a log. Moses throws the log into the water. The water becomes sweet. And God sets up um, a covenant with his people. He says, if you will listen to what I say, if you'll do what is right in my eyes, I will bless you. I'll protect you. I'll keep you safe. Well, Exodus 16, just a single chapter. And isn't it the same way in our lives? Just a single chapter over, 
the next day even, you know? And we get right back into the whole mix of things and it's just like chaos all over again and our attitude goes downhill all over again. And for them, Exodus chapter 16, now they're hungry. First they were thirsty, God provides water. Now they're hungry. And so they start complaining now about hunger. You would assume that by this point they would have learned, hey man, God is provider. God provides for me. When I'm in need, God provides. So I don't need to worry. I don't need to freak out. And we could teach a sermon on that whole concept. You don't need to worry. You don't have to freak out. But the truth of the matter is, we freak out. And they freaked out. They're hungry. They have kids. They have people that they're concerned about. Their animals are getting tired. And they're asking the question, where is the food? And they start looking at Moses. Moses, what, what is this, man? What, I mean, man, I really miss those meat pots back in Egypt. What is a meat pot, by the way? That sounds awful. And they're dreaming about it. Like, they're dreaming about meat pots. That's how bad it's gotten. And they're saying, if only we were back in Egypt, you know, when we were, like, eating meat pots and just sitting down by the Nile and we were relaxing. It's like, Moses, I mean, all he had to say is, like, guys, that was not your life at all. Like, you were building bricks without straw. It was bad. It was brutal. It was difficult. You cried out to God and he saved you and now you're crying out to go back? And again, it's so easy for us to say, man, like in scripture, I can't believe they would do that. But we do it every day. We do it all the time. Exodus keeps going. We're going to skip through a lot of it, but the book of Exodus keeps going. And then we end up in this scene at Mount Sinai. There's a scene that begins to unravel in Mount Sinai. And God calls Moses up to, up to the mountain, right? And Moses goes to the mountain. And Moses is on the mountain from chapter 19 to chapter 31. That's a lot of chapters. Everybody says that's a lot of chapters. That must have been a lot of time, okay? There's a lot, of, there's a lot going on in there. And while Moses is up there at the glory of God, the people are down at the bottom of the mountain. And we'll, this, here's where we're going to pick up this story. Exodus chapter 32. So remember, they've been grumbling, complaining. God has shown them. He is good. He shows them. He provides. He's leading them through a pillar of, of cloud and of fire. He's demonstrating his goodness to them. And Moses takes too long on the mountain, chapter 19 to 31. That's way too long for Moses. He needs to understand. He needs to cut that at least in half. So Exodus 32.1 says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Moses took way too long on top of that mountain. Way too long. I mean, the Bible's funny because it doesn't give us like how much time exactly it took them to make a golden calf. Like how long does it take to make a golden calf? That didn't, just, that didn't happen like between like a comma. Like it, there was a lot that's going on here. There's a lot going on here. And the people are now saying, these are our gods. These are the things that brought us out of Egypt. And, and Aaron actually even refers to it as the Lord. He's like, Aaron's kind of playing both sides. He's like, hey, I got to follow God. I got to follow Moses. And at the same time, I don't want the people to rip me apart. I mean, look at the first word that the people tell Aaron. They say, Aaron, up. 
up, super disrespectful. And when you have a million people telling you up, you get up because otherwise you're not gonna have legs to get up and rip them off of you. And so Aaron is, is faced with this thing where he's saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go with what the people are wanting, go with what the people are asking for. And the text goes on, Moses is on top of the mountain with God. The people of Israel get into this, this place where they're worshiping false gods all over again. And God tells Moses, you better go down there. You better go down there. I actually need to read this text because this, this verse is so funny. Verse 7 says this. The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You see how God like shifts that on Moses? Like, Moses, your people are acting bad again. Moses is like, what are you talking about my people? These are your people. I didn't do this. And it's beautiful. It's just funny. I just had to read that because when I read that in text, like, God, you're ridiculous. You're so funny. You're so funny. And he sends Moses down. At this time, Moses already had the two tablets. The new, he already has the, the Ten Commandments written on tablets, written on stone. He comes down the mountain. He meets his, um, his uh, protege. He meets Joshua on the mountain. And Joshua's like, man, it sounds like, a, like there, there's like a lot of yelling. It almost sounds like war, but it's like too happy to be war. And it's like a little too nice for it to be like victory. Like, I don't know what's going on. And Moses is like, oh my goodness, I know exactly what's going on. These people are just having a buck wild party right now. It's just getting crazy down there. And he gets down there and he gets filled with rage and anger. So much so, he takes the tablets of God and throws them down at the bottom of the mountain. That's significant. Everybody say bottom of the mountain. When it says that Moses took the tablets and cast them down at the bottom of the mountain, the bottom of the mountain was the place the people were supposed to be worshiping at. Earlier in the text, God told Moses, have the people stay down here and worship while you're up here on the mountain getting my word. So Moses takes the word of God and this is where we get the concept of breaking a covenant. You guys have all heard of broken covenants? So Moses literally takes these these tablets, cast them down at the place where the people were supposed to be worshiping God, but instead were worshiping a false God. And Moses is demonstrating, you've broken the covenant already. Like it's, it's been a month. You've already broken this covenant. You've already broken this covenant. We have this really dramatic scene, this really dramatic scene where it says, so then Moses, verse 15, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on both front and back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. It says, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp, but he said, it's not, it, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' Moses's anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, see how dramatic this is, he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. That's an angry Moses. That's a little bit, and next, try that with your kids next time. I'm just kidding, don't try that with your kids. Don't ever try that with your kids. It's abusive. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil, shifting the blame. For they said to me, make us gods 
who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do, not, we do not know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. And here he drops the worst, like this is the worst explanation I've ever seen in my life. I don't even know why Moses liked Aaron as a brother. He's ridiculous. He says, so they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. That's in the Bible. That's what he says. What? If you're Moses, man, you better hit him in the face with a staff or something, because that's a little, you threw the, wait, wait, you're serious, you threw gold in the fire and out jumped a calf. Is this, that's your story. That's what you're sticking to? That's really what, that's the best you could come up with? That's actually a significant thing. We'll talk about it in a minute. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies... Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? We're going to repeat that. Everybody say, who's on the Lord's side? One more time. Say, who's on the Lord's side? He says, who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And that's significant. Aaron was a Levite. Aaron, the leader the second in command, who allowed the people of Israel to do this thing, Aaron, who not just allowed them, but actually did it for them, led them into this sin, it says his people are the ones that surrounded Moses. They come to Moses, the Levites. And so, it goes on. It says, all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, thus says the Lord of God of Israel, the Lord, the God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you, this is brutal, kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son or of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. That sounds really scary. Like, you read that text, and it's like, God, what the heck, man? Like, you just call, hey, who's on God's side? Go, go kill everybody. That doesn't sound like a God of love, right? It doesn't to me. Maybe it does. I don't, maybe you guys like that kind of stuff, weirdos. But God says, come to me. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And he says, okay, now go to and fro from gate to gate and kill. Now, what's significant about this, understanding this text, because I don't want to leave you with this concept of like, man, God's a jerk, because he isn't. Here's what happens. Moses says, who's on God's side, which does what? It provides opportunity for repentance. It provides opportunity for saying, yeah, you're right, we were wrong. And then it says in the text later on that 3,000 died. There was millions of people, okay, and only 3,000 died. That's a very small amount. I'm not saying it makes it like like it, what, like it didn't matter, like those human lives didn't matter. But here's what that meant. That meant that the Levites went from gate to gate and they checked with every single person and they gave them the chance. They said, are you gonna follow God or are you gonna follow your false gods? Are you gonna follow God or are you gonna follow your false gods? And there were 3,000 men that were dedicated. That's what this means. There were 3,000 men that were absolutely dedicated to the golden calf that they just created. Completely dedicated after everything they had already seen God do. I have, um, there's a person that I know right now going through a weird thing. This person, I've seen God do healing in their lives. I've seen God 
literally physical healing. Like I've seen physical healing take place in this person's life. I've baptized this person. I've seen God give this person spiritual gifts. And now I'm seeing this person say he's a Satanist. And it's like, what? What? Like, where does that come from? Where does that come from inside of us where we're able to say to God, no matter what you did for me, I'm still going to choose otherwise. I'm still going to choose otherwise. And that's what's going on here in the text. The rest of Exodus through Deuteronomy, we see God developing a new culture for Israel. And I'm going to just wrap this up with the whole point, the whole, the whole point of this whole message. I have the question, why? God, why? Why did you bring them into this place? Why did you lead them into the wilderness in the first place? Why the wilderness? You're going to bring them into freedom, and the first thing you're going to have them go through is wilderness? The very first thing that these people, all million of them, they're going to be faced with is wilderness. And oftentimes in our own lives, it's so similar where it's like, God, I'm on this mountaintop with you. I'm experiencing your goodness. I'm experiencing your love. Life is going well. And then bam, wilderness. And we're left with the question, why? What's going on? What is going on here? What's going on here? And to me, here's what I want to speak to us as a congregation. The wilderness reveals you. The wilderness reveals you. Why does God lead us into the wilderness? Because it's going to show you what you actually believe. Bottom line, the wilderness is so you can see what it is you actually believe. Everybody say, what do I believe? One more time, say, what do I believe? As God brings them out of Egypt, he takes, he takes his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. The wilderness experience is God taking Egypt out of us. And for the people of Israel, that's what was going on. When, Moses, when, when Aaron says, I threw gold into the fire and out jumped a calf, that was an Egyptian thing. The Egyptians actually believed that. They believed that they didn't make their, their idols with hands. They believed that, hey, no, no, a couple centuries ago, our fathers, they threw gold into the fire and out came a sphinx. That's what they actually believed. Aaron's holding on to Egyptian beliefs. And he's trying to use that as an excuse. The people of Israel, they're holding on to Egyptian ways of thinking. The ways of thinking that the Egyptians have that said, there has to be some sort of image to this God that brought us out of, the, out of the land of Egypt. They were even calling him Lord still. They were still referring to him with the same name, but they put him into a box of a golden image. And it makes me wonder how often in our own lives do we put God into some sort of box, some sort of form, some sort of structure that says it must look like this. This is my God. This is what he looks like. This is what he can do. This is what he cannot do. Here's what he can say. Here's what he can't say. I've heard people say things like this. Oh, me and God, we just have a right understanding with each other. Like the Lord just understands me. So he allows me to do these things. No, that's, that's a golden calf. Flat out, that's a golden calf. I've heard people say, oh, God's not like, harsh with me ever. He's always super gentle and loving and tickles my back. And it's like so awesome. It's like, no, God sometimes has to speak to us in harsh discipline because otherwise children don't learn the lessons God's trying to teach. We can't say it's one or the other. He's both. It's God. He says, I am. He defines who he is. We do not. God defines who he is, and that is so vital to our spiritual growth because God is about renewing the way we think, and that's what the wilderness is all about, removing the Egypt from the people. People from Egypt, that's done with. Egypt's dead. 
Their armies are dead on the seashore. And now God goes to work on what's going on inside of his people. And so it is with us. And so it is with us. So what does the wilderness reveal? It reveals belief. Belief. And we hear things like faith not works. Right? Which is true. There's scripture about that. But then James says, yeah, but faith without works isn't really faith anyway. He says faith without works is dead. What he's actually saying, he's not saying your faith died. He's saying you never had faith in the first place. If your faith doesn't demonstrate itself actively through the way you live your life, it's not real. And that's heavy for a lot of us because maybe to us, we come to God as this God that, man, you're just gonna love me and hug me and hold me and teach me and that's true. All of that is absolutely true. But if your life does not demonstrate the glory of God through the way we act and live and move and breathe, that isn't faith. And it's so hard for us to say that in a church because we're so scared of what that means. We're so scared of what that means. And I'll tell you what it means. It means that there are some of us that are Levites that have chosen the Lord. I am on his side. And there are some that have said, well, I want to follow the Lord, but I'm going to shape him into this image, and that's what I'm going to stick to. And that's a scary place for us to be. And so here comes this other concept. I was having a conversation with somebody like, yeah, but Christianity is all about fear. All you teach is fear. No, we teach that love casts out fear. They're like, yeah, but you tell everybody that they're going to go to hell. No, that's not what we tell everybody. We tell everybody that there's a better way of life. We tell everybody that there's a better way of living. We tell everybody that there's a God out there that loves them, which is different from every other religion in the world, by the way. Every other faith system, our God is so unique that he came down and humbled himself for us. That's what we're telling the world. Like, yeah, but what about this hell thing? It's like, they're like, I just don't want, I just want to love people. I just want to be good. I just want, well, if you really wanted to love people, you wouldn't watch them get hit by a bus. Genuinely flat out. That's, that's kind of the bottom line of what's going on here in this story. A lot of times we say, well, I just need to be like understanding. Yes, true. I just need to be patient. Yes, absolutely true. But it is not loving to just stand there and watch people fall. That's not love. And we need to redefine our concept of love. Love does something. Love approaches. Love moves forward. Love reaches out. Love says, God, there's a better, there's a better way for you. There's a better way for you. Amen? There's a better way. So it reveals belief. Belief is demonstrated through behavior. So I am not teaching. Here's what I would need you guys to understand. I'll, I'll explain it this way. Everybody say behavior is rooted in belief. Aristotle said this. He said, we are what we do. It's a quote by Aristotle. We are what we do. I agree with what he's saying to a certain extent. I disagree in the sense of this. What Aristotle is saying, we are what we do, he's saying your identity is based on your actions. I don't think that's what scripture teaches. I understand the principle, but I don't think that's what scripture teaches. I believe scripture teaches you do what you think you are. And we're going to different, so we're getting philosophical. Everybody say, oh, philosophy. Everybody just go, ah, uh, because this is a philosophical moment for us, okay? We need like enlightening music. I need somebody like singing back there like really weird with their voice. Ah, uh, be really nice. Aristotle says you, we are what we do. I believe scripture teaches you do what you think you are. You do what you think you are. Now, let me unpack that for you, because that's, I mean, it's a, it's a philosophical statement, so it's this sentence that means, like, so many things. So you guys ready to unpack this? We'll close with this. This will be good. Scripture teaches this, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. 
Romans 12.2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. John 8.31 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has, everybody say has, passed away. Behold, the new has, everybody say has. The new has come. The wilderness reveals personal belief, though. It reveals what you think you are. So as to not waste so much of our time this morning, here's what I want to say to you. There are some of you that God has brought out of Egypt. You are free, legitimately free. You are a new creation. You have been redeemed. Your sins are dead. 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 The old man is dead. Here's the issue. We still think like we're in Egypt. The way we see ourselves is as though I'm still in bondage. Therefore, we say, no, I'm still a slave to sin. I'm still a slave to sin. I can't break these habits. I'm still a slave to this thing. That's not what Christ says. That's not what my Bible says at all. It says, no, you're a new, trans- you're a new creation. You've been transformed, made new, all things new. And we say, no, no, but what about this? And what about this? And I feel this way and I'm doing this thing. No, here's the issue. The people of Israel that built the golden calf, they were free. They were free people. They were loved. They had been given a new identity and still they behaved out of who they thought they were. They still thought they were slaves. And some of you in this room still think you're a slave. Some of you are still fearing. You still feel like God hates you. You still feel like God's angry at you. And God is saying, no, I have brought you through the sea. Did you know that Paul compares the Red Sea to baptism? He compares the Red Sea to baptism. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, he starts speaking about about this exact story. Here's what I want to ask us as a church this morning, and something that's just really on my heart for the future of our church. We need to start really asking ourselves, what do we actually believe? We really need to start sifting through those things. What do I actually believe? And I don't say this in shame or judgment, but I do say this in truth, because this is what I believe the Word of God speaks. Look at your life. Look at your life. There's your belief. And that's really heavy for a lot of us. Even for me, that's heavy. But we need to understand that Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. So here's my premise. If your roots are genuinely in Christ, if your faith, if your belief is genuinely in the God who saves, if it's genuinely in the the God that brings you to the sea, your life will show it. It will, and it's going to be a process. The wilderness is a process. But we see two types of people here, in the, it, just in this simple story of, of the golden calf. We see the people worshiping a golden calf, and we see somebody like Joshua waiting at the mountain of God. Because Joshua believed. His belief was set. It was God has brought me through. While everybody else was saying, well, we don't know what's gone on with Moses. He's been gone way too long. We better start finding our new way. So, you do what you think you are. You do what you think you are. 
The wilderness reveals personal belief. It reveals deep, what's deep inside of your heart. It reveals what you actually believe about God. It reveals what you actually believe about yourself. It reveals what you actually believe about this life, which determines obviously how we live. Now there's a big difference between belief and idea. There's a lot of us in here with a lot of good ideas. As a matter of fact, I had a really good idea this past week. I don't even remember what it was. I don't even remember what that idea was. See, the funny thing about ideas is they can escape you as quick as they came. Belief shapes everything. Belief shapes everything about who we are, what we do, what we don't do, what we say, what we don't say. Is it a book of rules? No, it's a book of love that says there's a better way of living. And if we believe that, we live that way. If we believe it's a book of rules, then we love breaking rules. So that's what we're going to do. Somebody say amen. You guys are so quiet this morning. And my final point is there's a big difference between belief and truth. There is a massive difference between belief and truth. Do you know it's absolutely possible to have a solid belief and there be zero truth in it at all? You can have an absolute dead, like just this straight up conviction in your soul and it could be absolutely untrue. We see that all across the world. We see that all across the church. It's totally possible to believe something without it being true. I was going to share a story, but Truth cannot change. Truth does not change. It is an absolute. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That word for truth there is not talking about like honest things. It's talking about reality. The actual word there means the same thing as reality. Jesus is saying, I am reality. I am the way things actually are. I'm the way things actually are. So in order for something to be true, it must be consistent with who Christ is. In order for something to be true, it has to be consistent with who he is, his nature, his goodness, his love, his care, his discipline. It has to be consistent with who he is. If it isn't, it's not God's job to start shifting and molding truth for your comfort. It's our job to align ourselves to truth that we may live the best life that God has for us. So that's why we have in Romans, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That's why Jesus says the truth will set you free. He says this, you will know. Everybody say no. That's mind. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what's my point? In order for God to remove the Egypt out of us, we need to change the way we think. Your belief system is rooted in your thinking. So a lot of people throw like philosophy out of the picture. It's not to be out of the picture, man. Jesus redeemed it. He says, no, here's the proper way to think about life. Here's the proper way to think about life. So the practical aspect of this for us this morning. Is in Moses' statement. Who's on the side of the Lord? Who will be on the Lord's side? And every single one of us, that's the question you have to ask. Here's the funny thing about renewing your mind. Your mind got to the place it is right now through repetition and habit. Through a lot of time. 
Some people's concept of sexuality is so broken because pornography has been your venue. Some people's perception of family is so broken because your family was broken. Some of our, the men in this room, some of our perception of manhood is so broken because it's just what we were fed. And same with the women. The question is no longer what do I think it is, it's what is God saying that it is and I choose to align myself to that. So the practicality is this, identify those things in yourself. God, you brought me out of Egypt. We can sing worship songs just like the Israelites did at the beginning of this whole thing. But if your life doesn't show it, man, words are pretty empty. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean much. It doesn't mean much. So the wilderness is our process. It's our process. It's revealing what we genuinely believe. Now, there's something so beautiful about God. He gave you something that no other creature on this planet has. It's called self-awareness. It's called self-awareness. I want you to ask yourself a question. Ask yourself the question, what do I believe? Say it out loud. You know what's really cool? You can actually go down that path. As a human being, God's given you a gift of self-awareness that allows you to venture down that path of what do I actually believe? Did you know that you're the only species that can do that? You can actually think about what do I think about? That's awesome. That's a gift. Use it. And understand this. This is my final point. Myself, Pastor Ron, our, our elders, our deacons, we cannot change the way you think for you. I can't do that. You can do that. That's your responsibility. So if this is the only time, if Sunday morning is the only time we as a church get the word of God, your thinking is going to stay pretty much the same. Now, I'm leaving this massive question there for us which maybe some of you are already asking. Well, if my life doesn't show that I'm saved, am I saved? And that's the question, right? That's the big question of Christianity. If my life doesn't show it, was it genuine? You find out. You dig into that question. I'm not going to stand up here and give you my theological understanding or what I believe about that question. You figure it out. My, my vision for this church is this, that we would be a church that thinks for ourselves. You think for yourself. Yeah, we're sheep, but at the same time, every single one of us is also called to be a shepherd in some capacity or another. Think. Think through it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And just like the people in the middle of the wilderness, you get to decide what you believe. That's a beautiful freedom. And you get to decide it. Amen? Amen. So that's what's next. I had a lady at the end of last, last, uh, last week's uh, message. She came up to me. She's like, I can't wait to see what's next. I was like, yeah, me neither, because I don't really know. <laughs> Here's what's next. Here's what's next. So if you'd all stand as we close in prayer. Well, Father God, I pray, Jesus, that in our hearts right now, Lord, in our spirits, in our minds, in our souls, whatever we want to call it, Lord, I pray, Jesus, that your spirit will begin to reveal to us truth, God. 
Lord, your opinion isn't even an opinion. Your opinion is absolute truth. To call it an opinion is a wrong statement. Father, I pray, God, that our hearts would be aligned to what you say is true, not necessarily what we feel is right or wrong. That's gotten us in enough trouble as it is. Lord, this morning we need your truth to shape us, God. Lord, and we know that does not happen automatically. Father, we know that there's our part, Jesus. There is our part, God, and anybody who says otherwise needs to read the Bible, God. There is our part, and your spirit leads us. Your spirit does the work. I get that, Father, but we must step out and walk with you in this thing. So, Lord, as we do that, as we walk with you in this thing, God, as we dedicate ourselves, Jesus, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, God, according to your truth, according to your words. Lord, right now, I don't even want to speak the breaking of bondages over your people. God, I pray that there would be a revelation that bondages have been broken. God, that we would walk into a new understanding that freedom isn't something we're fighting for. It's something we already have. God, that righteousness is not something we are striving for. It is something you've already placed on us. Lord, may we learn to let the old man stay dead. God, and may we learn what it is to walk in newness, in the identity of Christ that you have placed upon us. Lord, and tomorrow as we embrace the mundane, God, this afternoon as we embrace the mundane, may we see it with new eyes, God, the eyes of your heart. May we see all things God, may we see all things as opportunity, God. May we see all moments as moments for your goodness. Lord, and even as we reflect on, on the condition of our pastor, Lord, may we see this too. God, as your love and your goodness watching over us, Jesus. Lord, and when we don't understand it, God, when truth is beyond us, we still choose you. We still choose you. God, I still choose you. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you so much. We love you.